Hi, welcome to The Exchange. I'm Faisal Carmeli and I've got Fred Litwinick, co-CEO of Litco Law. We've been trying to get this company in for months. Why? Well, you're going to see how law, how service, and how being an industry leader can happen all in one place. Well, Fred, thank you for coming today. This is a very exciting time for me. First of all, we're talking about a service-based business that's been multi-decade, multi-generational. So I'm really excited to talk to all the people out there. But before we jump right into the meat about your firm and you as your, your journey has gone through with your brother on a, as entrepreneurs, walk me through what Litco Law does. Well, first of all, Faisal, it's a huge pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me to uh, join you today. Yeah, Litco Law uh, at its core is a law firm that helps people. Our core purpose is to balance the power, uh, which to us means we seek out unfairness in the world and work to eliminate it. It's not fair that it's so hard uh, for a client to just find a good lawyer that they can trust and get some free answers from. Basically, the idea is that we can be someone's legal team for life. So if there's a problem, you give us a call, we'll help you find the solution, even if we're not it. And um, you know, it's something that we've been doing now since 1976 and proud to be part of the community for that long. So let me give you a skills testing question. Okay. okay. All right. What percent of businesses that are second generation do you think survive? Uh, I, I got to say it's less than 20%. Am I close? Yeah, you're pretty close. 30% of businesses survive the second generation and even lower on the third generation. Mm -hmm. What's the secret? How does the next generation actually take what their parents passed on and thrive like Litco has been doing? I think one of the secrets for us is that we actually we actually bought the business from our parents and they were happy to let us run it as we see fit uh, to make any changes that we wanted to make. And I think that's a struggle, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs when they pass on a business to anyone, you know, whether it's their own children or, or to somebody else is seeing that, you know, things have changed or things aren't the way that I did it. 26 years ago, my father set me aside in a seat similar like this one and said, Faisal, he's an auto body mechanic by trade, had his own business and said, Faisal, this can all be yours. You want to buy it? And I said, um, hell no. <laughs> I said, hell no. Yeah. Um, not because I didn't think about the business side, but because the trade, I wasn't a mechanic, didn't want to be one. Yeah. These hands and bodies not meant for manual labor whatsoever. <laughs> um, but the key thing behind this was, if I look back and I can say, you know what, I could have done so much more with that business today, knowing what I know today. And so you and your brother have taken Litco Law and you've transformed it into a way, first of all, it's pretty much a household name. Number two, you're everywhere. People are talking about you that even don't work with you, aren't your clients, they're talking about you. Your competition is in fear of you because you're doing something different. What are the key things that Litco has done that's different that the typical law firm that, that provides services today aren't doing today? Um, well, thank you for the, for the kind words. Um, Todd and I are standing on the shoulders of giants. Our parents did build uh, a wonderful firm. And for us, we had the ability to step outside and really think about how we wanted to change it, how we wanted to make it better. Whereas I think for my mom and dad, they were like so many entrepreneurs just in the business every day, just working to put food on the table and keep the lights on. So we had that luxury. I think we really care about our clients. We really care about what they want to achieve. And, uh, you know, my dad always talked about this idea, you know, if you take care of the clients, everything else takes care of itself. You know, the business will come. I think where we added on to that idea or, or thought a little bit differently about that is, okay, well, in order to take great care of our clients, what kind of firm do we need to be? 
And so we were reading these, you know, all kinds of books and getting introduced to all all sorts of other entrepreneurs through, you know, Todd is a member of EO Entrepreneurs Organization. And one of, one of the things we came across was a guy by the name of John DeJulius, who wrote a book called Customer Service Revolution. He's written a couple more, Relationship Economy. And one of the things John says in his books is that your clients will never be any happier than your team. And when Todd and I found that, I think it was just like an instant light bulb for us. We were like, you know, it makes so much sense to us that if you are in a business where the whole business is based on taking care of other people, if we make sure that the people at LitCola are incredibly happy, then they will be better able to take care of other people. And so that's really where we focused on how can we build this amazing culture where our team is just over the moon to come to work every day. So I can actually attest to that because when I look at all that your firm does, that's not dealing with the client. So dealing with your team, the events that you host, the places that you take your team to, the ambassadors on your team that speak about the firm when they don't have to speak about the firm is one of the biggest pieces or tell that the brand starts from within the company in order to be with outside of the company. And you've done a great job at that. So what are the things from a managerial or from an ownership level that you try to instill in your team that brings that, that makes them into brand ambassadors? You know, my brother Todd likes to say this idea that we look for people who are humble, hungry, and smart. We hire the absolute best people that we can find. We create wonderful conditions for them to enjoy work and then work to move, remove as many of the obstacles that get in the way of them being great. So if we're talking to business owners right now, what can they do within their own business to create that type of experience and that kind of brand? One of the mistakes that a lot of business owners make is thinking of this stuff like a sort of checklist. Right? Where it's like, I see that in order to be successful, I need to have great perks and benefits check. And I need to have a wonderful workplace culture check. And I need some core values on the wall. If you don't believe it, you know, if you just sort of post some core values on the wall, you put up a purpose, you start talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest pitfall that, uh, you know, business owners get into. You know, we can all start, and I know Todd and I did this, we can all start by thinking about, well, what kind of place would I like to work in? If I think of myself as you know, a talented individual that would be valuable to an organization, what kind of workplace would I like? Well, first of all, I'd like to come to work with people who do what they say they're gonna do. You know, the people who keep their promises and get stuff done and who I can count on and trust and rely on. And I, you know, I don't wanna to come to work with a bunch of jerks. And I want to feel like the people who are leading me actually care about me, not only as a, you know, a revenue generator, but as a person. And so we really put ourselves in the position of the people that we're asking to come and lend their talents to, to our business every day. And we say this to the team all the time, great people have options. Right. I mean, you know, any business leader I've ever met is not really out there looking to hire the person who can't get a job anywhere else. Yeah. So if you want to hire the best people, um, and I think this is probably more true today than it is at any other time in, in my lifetime, there's a real war for talent going on. Yeah. If you want to win the war for talent, it's got to be more than just some stuff you checked off some boxes. You got to really believe it and you got to pour your heart into figuring out how do I make a wonderful workplace? Because when you fill a place with talented people, Talented people can take, you know, my mediocre ideas and, and make magic with them. Sometimes in a great environment, you do find those jerks. Has there been yeah. a point in time in the past where you had to let go of a jerk? And how long did it take before the jerk radar turned on and that individual exited the door? 
Yeah, first of all, I will say, you know, we've had to say goodbye numerous times and that never was there a time when somebody was like, oh, why did you let that person go? It was always like, what took you so long? Yeah. And so there's two main ways that we evaluate our team. One is whether or not they're living our core values. Are they kind and empathetic? Do they own it? Do they not blame? Do they ask why? Those are our, our core values. And then the other side is how are they at, at being productive, right? So that's a different thing than just being busy or yep. appearing busy, but actually achieving goals and you know reaching things that move the company towards its vision. So on those two sort of metrics, you know, if somebody is terrible on the core value side, but they're really crushing it and they're really productive. I feel like I've seen this happen in a lot of organizations where leaders have a hard time saying goodbye to the money. They have a hard time saying goodbye to the revenue or the yeah. productivity because they know how much that hurts. But we've had to do that. We can't let people like that stay because it undermines everything we say we're about. If you let people like that hang around, then the team's like, well, I don't believe what you're telling me. Yeah. You know, you're telling me one thing, but doing another. So we've had to do that. And on the flip side of things, we've had people who have been really great at living the core values but couldn't be productive. That's the hardest. You know, you've got somebody who you really love who really embodies your core values but they can't contribute to the team. That's a problem as well in a different way. Okay, so we're gonna watch a clip of a previous uh, podcast that I did and I wanted to kind of get your take on it and then I wanna kind of drill down on, on the business because there's an interesting change the firm has gone through or journey that the firm has gone through over the decades. Let's take a look at the video first. And Faisal, you know, we have uh, five fingers, I would say, and in between those fingers is this imaginary gray area. And I think there's magic there. And I think if, if we look there, you can really connect dots. So if you're a lawyer, for example, how do you gain new clients? Well, perhaps you can see your demographic. Do they like golf? Start a blog or a vlog on golfing. Now you're gonna get those people interested in you. Because if you're talking about being a lawyer and no one really cares. You know? No one really cares if you're a lawyer, according to Zach. Just remember that. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So of course people care that people are lawyers. I want to. <laughs> I don't want to start with that. Well, maybe your parents do. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's talk about the way that Litco has actually did branch out from just having the brand of uh, of the firm. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I have season tickets to a local hockey team here, and whenever I sit down in my seat, your guys' name is up there. Like the video was saying, you were looking between the fingers and seeing the opportunities of where to expand the brand. How did you? How did your team do that? Well, firstly, I think that video has a really important insight. You know, um, I don't know if I put it exactly that way. That nobody cares that you're a lawyer, but ultimately, when you're in a business that serves people they're contacting you or they're coming to you because they've got a problem they need some help with, right? It's really about them and not about yourself. So when you, when you talk about where the gaps are in between the lines, I think it's really important for us to focus on you know, what do our clients want and need from us. For a lot of people, if they find a great lawyer, and we, we found this you know, even among our client base, they knew that we were doing primarily personal injury law for a long time, and yet they were still calling us and asking us for help with these other areas. Hey, I've got a real estate deal, or I need a will, whatever the case may be, right? I've, I've got an employment problem. You know, I think I've been fired and I shouldn't have been, or something like that. And we found ourselves you know, fielding these questions and helping people with it anyway. And that, what that told us was that for a lot of people in the market, First of all, they weren't finding those answers somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. So they were coming to us. And the other thing it told us was our clients like and respect us enough that they're calling us and asking us to help them with other things. I think you're being modest. It's, they trust you. I hope they so. Trust you. I hope so. This is a big difference because you can like somebody but not want help from them. That's true. Yeah. They trust you. For them to actually pick up the phone and say, I know you helped me with my personal injury. 
but do you have someone that can help me with real estate? That's trust. That's something that takes you to the next level that can, that can compete. Your, your competition will hire a, a lawyer to fill a niche, mm. to fill a segment of the market. You organically moved in that direction based on trust, which I think a lot of service-based businesses don't understand that. They will say, I see dollar signs, I'll hire and fill that so I can bring more dollars. That's not what happened at Letco. No. The trust led to the expansion. I think that's really astute, Faisal. I think that that really rings true to me. And we really, that's the way we approached it was, you know, like we didn't, we didn't sit down with a list of areas of law and say, well, what's going to make us the most money? The clients were asking us for these certain areas of law. And I'm really grateful to say that this same thing now is happening as we expand into other cities across the province, you know? So we've had our, our Edmonton location open for a few years. The reason we went to Edmonton is because we were getting calls from Edmonton. And, you know, we finally uh, listened to our clients and went and, you know, set up a, a shop there so that we can help more people. And the same thing is happening in Red Deer and now Lethbridge as well. When you look at growth, there is a cost benefit analysis that every firm, every company has to go through before they actually step over the threshold and enter a new marketplace. Mm -hmm. What were the things that you were looking for that you're able to deliver the Litco way in Edmonton because it was a Calgary thing at one point only. I think a big thing for us that we really thought about was we've got a lot of happy clients right now, you know, people that are really satisfied with what we do. What does that do to Litco Law if we go to a place like Edmonton and we blow it? Hmm. You know, just really thinking about, you know, ways that things could go wrong. And so we were deliberate about it. And we really, you know, the cost benefit analysis was what could go wrong if we don't deliver on our service promises? What if we can't replicate the culture in another location? What if you know there becomes a difference between the feel of Litco in Edmonton and the feel of Litco in Calgary or Red Deer in Lethbridge? It has to feel the same way. Those are just some of the things that we thought about. And we continue to think about it because every day our team has to get up and we all have to go to work and keep delivering on those promises. You can't backslide because you know, you're only as good as your last Google review or your last client happiness yeah. survey, right? And people are telling us all the time, we're asking them to tell us, how are we doing? So we think about it a lot, all the time. I have a business partner. We're not related. You're with your brother. Now, you're sitting at the dinner table and you're having a family dinner. Does work come up and how do you deal with separating family from business? I would say that it started when I was a kid because we grew up in this business, right? And so one of the things I think that drove both of us when we ended up buying the business from our parents was to change that dynamic. Because I recall growing up that the firm was present at every family event. It was present in every conversation. I'm exaggerating for effect, but you get the point, right? Yeah. It's always there yeah. because it was the thing that put food on the table and provided for everyone and made things possible, but it also holds back some possibilities. My parents didn't get to take much time off, right? Because like a lot of entrepreneurs, they're in the business working all the time. Yeah. And so we sat down, Todd and I did, and we said, how do we set it up so that we run the business and the business doesn't run us. Because yeah. it felt like for my entire life that the business had been running our family and not the other way around. And I think that you know we've done a really good job about being deliberate 
about separating those two things. It's not easy for us, not not least of all, because we're both incredibly passionate about Litco Law. Yeah. We love to talk about it. We love to think about, you know, how can we how can we do this thing, you know, that's gonna make things better for the team? Or how can we do this other thing that's gonna you know, help us grow and be better for the clients? Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of joy in talking about it now. And so, first of all, when you're talking about it with joy rather than, you know, a, as a burden, I think that that changes the dynamic. And then the second part of that is that we have to make time so that we're talking about other stuff and we have to catch each other on that. Yeah. Uh, but I can't say how grateful I am to be able to do this project with my brother. And, you know, do we fight? Do we have disagreements about things? Has it been tough over the years? Absolutely. But it's also incredibly rewarding, you know, for us to be where we are now and to be there together. So let me tell you a story. Dave and I were sitting in a, in a boardroom. This is probably 12, 13 years ago. And we are looking at our, our, our strategic vision of how we want to take care of our clients and grow the business as well. Mm-hmm. And we were at an impasse where we were both disagreeing with each other. And it kind of got heated. And he threw this out to me. You'll, you'll like this one. I'm older than you. Just listen to me. <laughs> okay. Younger brother. I never heard that one before. You haven't heard that one? <laughs> Has he ever pulled that on you? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that the beauty of Todd and, and, and me as partners is that we are different people. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. It's not a problem. I mean, if we just agreed on everything, then what do we need two of us for? Correct. The point is, is that he's got certain skills and strengths that he brings that I don't have and vice versa. And the fact that we you know, can disagree about the way to accomplish something is not only fine. I mean, intelligent people can have differences of opinion. Does he ever pull the older brother card? Absolutely. Does it always work? No, but no. sometimes it does, right? And sometimes I just need to listen to him and, and vice versa. What's always important for us to remember is that for all the things that we do disagree about, we don't disagree about the vision. We don't disagree about the core values and the core purpose. We don't disagree about the fundamentals, the philosophy, where we're going, what we want to achieve. We may disagree about exactly how to get there, and that's okay because we disagree with our leadership team on that too, and, and the rest of our team. And that's how you get to the best ideas, right? Yeah. You got to kind of let them fight it out a little bit. But you know, in terms of conflict over what we want the firm to be, never. And I think that's what's interesting when it comes to my business partner and I, when we start to disagree about things, we go back to what's the purpose of this business. Mm-hmm. When one of us say, is this meeting the objective of why we do what we do? The minute that we realize it's not, we step back. Does mm-hmm. that happen with you as well? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it also helps to be surrounded by other great people. Uh, You know, I've got blind spots just like anybody else does, right? And one of my particular blind spots is sometimes I just like to disagree with my brother. (laughs) It's just helpful to be reminded that that's not always... Uh, productive. It really does help us to come back to, okay, wait a minute, where where are we trying to get to here? What, yeah. what do we want to accomplish? What's important to us in life? And I know that, you know, he and I also do a lot of that reflection personally, yeah. right? So we do it in business and we do it in our personal lives. And really thinking about that helps us understand what's important and what's worth fighting over and what's not. Fantastic. Fred, thank you for joining. Faisal, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more from the Carmali Exchange. And you can also follow me on social media at Faisal Carmali, where we can continue the business conversations.